Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. One of the main catalysts for the Protestant Reformation was not only the errors that were being taught by the Roman papacy and others, but the fact that this vicar of Christ and other teachings coming from him was actually indeed the very Antichrist mentioned in Scripture. This contention and actually this conviction by Martin Luther and others proved to be really a moving point as to, hey, these guys have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. So to examine that point and whether or not the Pope meets the biblical requirements for the Antichrist, we have none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel, to discuss this very important topic. Yes, yeah, an important question. It's important that we know who uh, the Bible is referring to when it refers to the Antichrist, the false prophet, and so forth. And Roman Catholicism has departed so far from biblical Christianity and garners the attention of hundreds of millions, maybe actually way more than a billion people. When you look at people that aren't even Catholic, uh, that that look to the Pope and so much of the world, it's very important uh, to realize Satan is probably not sitting there sidelines saying, yeah, these guys are way off and they're not teaching true Christianity, but they have nothing to do with the direction they're going in or the influence they have over people. We really need to look at them. Yeah, it is really important. And this is part four of a series we are working on entitled Catholicism Examined. And in the previous three parts of this series, one of the things we wanted to establish is, one, that true Catholic teaching does not lead to true Christians. Those who are appealing to the Catholic Church by way of the Mass and so forth, transubstantiation by way of denying uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I, I guess that's the best way to describe it, that denial thereof, denying the sufficiency of Scripture in order to run and be the authority of all of our doctrines, all of our teaching, and all of our way of living. Um, a doctrine over and over again with the papacy that we obviously established for a, an, a copious amounts of text from the Scripture, even the early church, none of it attesting to the things that they are doing. And one of the things we wanted to bring out in this series is the fact that Catholicism, as taught by the Catholic churches of Rome, is not biblical Christianity. So the first thing we want to establish before we get into who the Pope may be in end times prophecy, who he's been thought to have been since the Reformation, and even prior to that, yeah. Joe, is one of the things we're going to talk about. But also, just we got to go back a little bit in case this is the only episode you watch of this because you're into end times. And let's establish, especially as we deal, Joe, you and I have to deal with it on the Christian end of ecumenism, where, oh yeah, well, the Christians are, or the Catholics are Christians too, they're our brothers in Christ, and, and so forth. So they say, yeah. And that's what, that's what we are told. So we have to maybe start out with that before we can get into the end times talk and what Revelation says. But Joe, why is Rome and what's coming out of Rome, why is that a false gospel presentation and message? Yes, Chad, uh, we've established already, if you've been watching this series very conclusively, that Rome and Catholicism teaches that salvation isn't 
by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, faith alone, but that you must also do works to earn favor with God. Not works as evidence that are produced as a result of your salvation, but an emphasis that our works actually pay off certain sins to earn us into God's favor. That is such a hellacious, demonic, false gospel. So contrary to the Apostle Paul's teachings uh, in the New Testament and the others, where we're saved by grace through faith, Paul says, by grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Paul makes it very, very clear that we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by our works. They don't add to our salvation. Uh, they're the fruit of our salvation. True Christians will have fruit. So we gave a number of uh, quotes from Vatican II, Council of Trent, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Catechism of the, their church, uh, proving that that's exactly what they believe. In fact, many Roman Catholic apologists will come against the idea that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, showing you exactly where, what they believe in. And you know what? I can tell you right now, uh, pastors that are caught up in the ecumenical movement and accepting Roman Catholicism as an expression of Christianity, Chad, those same pastors, if somebody came to their church, a guest speaker, and told people that they had to earn their salvation, would repeat, would repudiate that if they saw the guest speaker say that, if they had any kind of, you know, uh, uh, care for the gospel and the truth in their flocks and would repudiate that and say, you know what, what that guest speaker just said that you have to earn your salvation, you have to do certain things to, to earn favor with God, that, that's heretical, okay? But those same pastors, many of them, thousands of them are embracing Rome as another denomination of Christianity. And so we don't use the same quotes that we used last time, but we wanted to give you some fresh things to think about that just basically reaffirm what we're saying. And, and, and if you haven't seen this before, Vatican II, which was in the right around 1962, uh, reaffirming and repurposing, uh, not really repurposing, reproposing all the teachings of the Council of Trent and, and Nicaea one and two. Uh, Vatican II stated very clearly from the most ancient times in the church, good works were also offered to God for the salvation of sinners. Did you hear that? Goes on to say, indeed, the prayers and good works of holy people were regarded as of such great value. Bible says they're like filthy rags before God when it comes to your salvation. They're considered such great value that it could be asserted that the penitent were, was washed, cleansed, and redeemed with the help of the entire Christian people. Because they understand that Christians, other Christians' works also contribute toward your salvation and help you pay off, for instance, venial sin. Vatican II further explains, quote, Sins must be expiated. This may be done on this earth through the sorrows, miseries, and trials of this life and above all, through death. Otherwise, the expiation must be made in the next life through fire and torments or purifying punishments in purgatory, the souls of those who had not made satisfaction with adequate penance for their sins and omissions are cleansed after death with punishments designed to purge away their debt. You know, the Bible says the soul is costly and no man can redeem his brother. We can't contribute to the other people's salvation by meriting or earning their salvation. We can't merit our own salvation. In fact, uh, the Catholic Church teaches uh, a real heresy here, and they still teach. You know, Martin Luther, Chad, and I know we'll quote him regarding who, the who the, he felt the Antichrist was. He's a father of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was responding to the indulgences of his day, whereby the Catholic Church was raking in tons of money, much of it from poor peasants, by telling them that they can free their suffering loved ones from the flames of purgatory, if they would give money, and money was being used to build cathedrals and everything else, and that, that famous saying from Tetzel, Tetzel yeah. as he went around, and he's caricatured as, as saying, you know, 
uh, when you put money in the coffer, right? And as the, as the coin rings, a soul from purgatory springs, you know? And Luther responded to that. But it's interesting, uh, right now as we speak, Chad, I mean, Roman Catholic Church still sells indulgences. I mean, anybody here can go down just about any mortuary and ask for a Catholic uh, mass card. And then you fill it out, and it, it says that the soul that you're filling out for will find repose or peace based on you. And then you give a donation of money, and then the priest will take that mass card, and they'll put it on the altar, the Catholic altar, and then they'll bring Christ down to be re-sacrificed again. They say it's a, it's a non-bloody sacrifice. And through your money being donated, uh, it'll contribute to your loved one being springed from purgatory. This is the not just works salvation. This is demonic avarice. This is greed. This is trying to play on people's fears, denying the scriptures. You don't need a mass card, man. We have Jesus. You know, we don't go to purgatory anymore. Anyway, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no stop in purgatory because you know what? Because if you have Jesus, man, you don't need a mass card. You don't need to wear a, a, a brown scapular. You don't need the indulgences of others. You don't need to work for your salvation. You don't need to partake of the treasure of merit from the works of supposedly Mary and other saints and extra good works that they had to contribute toward your salvation. That is a false gospel. That is a different gospel. We have Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we walk in the light as he's the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sins. And verse 9, two verses later, say, says if we confess our sins, homo legao, say the same thing as God says about our sin, that's wrong. We have a repentant heart. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what we need very clearly is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple more points along those lines. On page one of the Vatican Council's declaration uh, of Vatican, uh, of, of, the, of you know, Vatican II's declaration regarding a council statements, they, they basically state that we re-propose the teachings of Council of Trent, which had over 100 anathemas, over 100 curses, almost all of them directed at evangelical Christians or those who rejected Roman Catholicism, those who believed in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Over 100 anathemas, 100 curses. And it's interesting because the Council of Trent says, and I read, if anyone says that the sacraments of the new law, what's the new law? Are not necessary for salvation, but are superfluous, and that without them, or without the desire of them, men obtain from God through faith alone the grace of justification, though all are not necessary for each one. Let him be anathema, or condemned, eternally damned. So the Roman Catholic Church is teaching that you have to keep this new law. Now, Chad, the Judaizers that came in that Paul's coming against in the book of Galatians were saying, hey, it's good you have Jesus, you need to have Jesus, but you also have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved. These guys are saying, hey, guess what? You have to keep the new canon of Catholic law to be saved. And Paul called them, the Judaizers, heretics. He referred to them as those who were under the true anathema of God because they were teaching a different gospel. And Chad, the edition I looked at recently of the Roman Catholic canon law is 667 pages long. You know, I mean, it's a huge book and you have to keep that to enter the kingdom of God. And if you break some of the laws and so forth, of course, you can still earn your way to salvation by burning uh, for them in, in the flames of purgatory. That is so contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're listening right now and you have a Roman Catholic background, we love you. We just want you to understand the true gospel. You know, I had a Roman Catholic background as a little kid growing up, going to catechism, made my confirmation and everything else. 
And I was blinded and just did my own thing. And I was following Satan and everything else in the occult and got out of, uh, you know, because it was just a bunch of pageantry. I didn't really even understand what they were saying. When I came to Christ, I began to read my Bible. Wow, I knew that salvation was by grace through faith. Then when I saw what the Catholic Church was actually teaching, I'm like, that is so demonic. That is so contrary to the gospel. Throw yourself in the mercy of Jesus and, and ask him forgiveness that you would ever be able to pay your way into his kingdom. It took God's pre- son of God's, God's son's precious blood to save you. How dare we think that we can earn something that only he could merit for us. He loves you, but embrace the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's Joe, it's really, really interesting when you actually get into the reading of the material rather than just listening to apologists and so forth online and watching them simply take something that this stark contrast from the true gospel of Jesus Christ and watch them minimize it so, so often. And it's really heartbreaking because as you said, you cannot read through Galatians the book of Galatians, I would not get one one-thousandth, in all honesty, I would not get one one-thousandth of all of the pluses to the true gospel of Jesus Christ from the book of Galatians than I get from the Catholic Church, from all of this stuff and the indulgences. And guys, by the way, they're still doing indulgences, as Joe mentioned, but also, if you guys didn't know, in 2013, When Pope Francis got his Twitter account going, I'm just going to read, according to a new Vatican decree, this is back in 2013, they issued and reported that just about everywhere that Pope Francis will be granting indulgences or time off of purgatory to Catholics who closely follow his Twitter or other social media accounts. Okay, and and guys, this is, it, it sounds, oh, that's kind of funny. No, it's not funny, guys. It's not funny to think that when Jesus said it was paid in full, that it it was finished, is that it was only somewhat finished, that only the mortal sins were finished and you still got venial sins to deal with. As Joe, as Joe quoted 1 John 1, 9, which is so abundantly clear that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. unrighteousness. All is a serious that. thing. No. <laughs> all unrighteousness. Guys, this is why we have just poured out our hearts into this series to say we want people to recognize Amen. it's not just simply, hey, there are some differences, there are some errors. We can find that in denominations and groups within the Christian realm that we love and support and say these are our brothers or sisters in Christ. You see that happening in the very early church where they did have issues that needed to be addressed, some of which were anathematized, like Galatians adding to the gospel, some of which were corrected, like Corinth, and then they were given more correction and so forth. So yes, these things were happening even in the earliest church, even with the apostles right there, there were still problems within the church, but there are those things that get anathematized, and we have to look at the scriptures. And when the scripture anathematizes it, we have to say, that is not a brother. Yeah, that's what's amazing, Chad, is that the Council of Trent would have the audacity to anathematize those who believe exactly what the scriptures teach, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not have to suffer in purgatory, and have to work their way out of purgatory, but have eternal life. Or what Paul said, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. It's, it's so crystal clear. And Chad, I had no idea. I didn't know you were going to bring up the uh, the Twitter deal. That, that's huge when you think about it to this day. It's not just Catholic prayer cards that you can pay for or, or you can give donations with to get people out of purgatory. But I remember that, Chad. That was, if I remember right, it was World Youth Day. Yes, it was. It was World Youth Day. Brazil. And yeah. all the young people who would who would become followers of 
you know, the Pope on Twitter, at least for World Youth Day, they would basically reduce their time of suffering uh, for their sins uh, in purgatory. It's so heretical. And you know what? This is demonic, you guys. And I know it's demonic. I'll tell you why. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. And it warns that they would have a, a works basis where they, they couldn't marry, i.e. Catholicism. They couldn't eat certain foods, i.e. or e.g. Catholicism. Uh, a, a spiritual thing. And it, it reply, I believe it uh, applies that text to more than just Catholicism. But it's interesting when you see what came later. Or when Paul says the Galatians, he warns them about demonic entities trying to deceive them, making them think they had to do certain works to earn salvation. Uh, we're not we're not diminishing the importance for holiness and so forth. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Amen. But the Bible also teaches that when we come to Christ, we become new creations. And old things pass away, all things become new. God transforms our hearts. We now walk the path of righteousness. We are now walking on the narrow road. We are living lives of holiness. We're crucifying the flesh with its affections and desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we do none of that to earn our way into heaven. We do that as a result of the salvation process and the gifting that God gives us. It's all a gift. Uh, the gift of salvation and so forth. So it's important that we get this and we realize that the Bible warns about these demonic agencies that we work through human religion to get you away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And Chad, I think that's why it's important we're aware of in Galatians 1 where Paul says, I marvel that you're so quickly removed from him who's called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another gospel. And that's when he says, if we or an angel from heaven, like a fallen angel, preach another gospel to you than that which we preach, let him be accursed. And then a little bit later he says, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? Because Paul realizes a demonic delusion, and that's what's happening today. There are tons of people. We know it because the Roman Catholics have been taught they have to do all these things, and if they really get into doctrine, it's to merit their salvation. And, of course, we do believe and we do know there's people in the Roman Catholic Church that are trusting in Jesus and not trusting in Mary and not trusting in her as a mediatrix and not trusting in the prayers of saints and not trusting in their good works because they really don't understand Catholicism. You know, they're in Catholic churches, but they're reading the Gospels, and they're like, well, thank you, Jesus, and put their trust in him. But eventually, I believe he'll lead them out of Catholicism, and eventually all of those guys that are truly saved will come out of Catholicism and end up with the Lord in heaven because they're truly following Jesus. But right here, and I'm just going to read one scripture on this, and I sure we can move on to the next point, right? But look at what it says in Galatians 2.16. Paul goes on to make it clear that we're not under this false gospel of works salvation and works righteousness. He says, nevertheless that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Yet we're to believe that the 667 books, which explicates Roman Catholic law, that now we're saved by that law, which adds all these things to the scriptures. It's, it's, It's a lie. No, it's very important because what we're getting at here and why it needed to be established that it's another gospel is how could something be truly antichrist and not just simply a mistake, a mess up, if it's not this serious. And what's interesting is that most historians will point out that when Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk, was nailing the 95 Thesis to the doors in Wittenberg, that he was actually trying to start a discussion. He wasn't trying to get anathematized. He wasn't trying to start a reformation. He realized these indulgences and the things that were going on. Wow, this is this is not right. But ultimately, the not only the reaction the, that he got from Pope Leo at the time, but then all of the doctrines and the way that people reacted is that he had to come to the conclusion that it was something far worse. It wasn't just simply, oh, well, we have some doctrinal differences we got to work out. But no, these guys are actually antichrist. 
And in fact, he wasn't the first one to do it and to come to that conclusion and really give the impetus for the Reformation. But the conclusion was actually come many a times before, but one specifically in 991 by Bishop Arnulf of Orleans. He described what was going on with papal murder and lust and intrigue, and he asked the question, quote, Are there any bold enough to maintain that the priests of the Lord over all the world are to take their law from monsters of guilt like these? And then ask the question, Be the Antichrist sitting at the temple and showing himself to be God? That's what he suggested, that this very movement, these popes that were practicing these papal murders and lusts and the things that were going on. This is 991, Joe. This is well, well before, over 500 years before Luther would nail that 95 thesis and really be the foundation of what would be the Protestant Reformation. And yet there were warnings. Wait a second. Maybe this could be Antichrist when they're this wicked. Yeah, amen. In fact, there's some uh, powerful quotes from Luther where he leaves it very unmistakable as to what his conviction was in this regard. And remember, the Bible says there are many antichrists in 1 John. It says even now there are many antichrists in the world, but he says you've heard that antichrist is coming, singular, but even now there are many, plural antichrists in the world. So a lot of the reformers viewed the Pope's office as the office of antichrist, and that whether it was a succession of these popes claiming to be the leader of, of the church, uh, that each one of them occupied the, the office of the antichrist, and that there would be, they believed many of them, a final antichrist. But Martin Luther said this, we hear are of the conviction that the papacy is the seat of the true and real Antichrist. Wow. Martin Luther went on to say, I owe the Pope no other obedience than I owe to Antichrist. Luther also said, I am persuaded that if at this time St. Peter in person should preach all the articles of Holy Scripture and only deny the Pope's authority, power, and primacy, and say that the Pope is not the head of all Christendom, they would cause him to be hanged. Yet if Christ himself were here again on earth, he says, and should preach without all doubt, the Pope would crucify him again. That's because Jesus would have more scathing words toward the papacy and Roman Catholicism with all their traditions that they've added to Scripture for the same kind of thing that he condemned the Jews in his day who had added to Scripture their traditions that were keeping people out of the kingdom of God. How much more scathing would his words be for those who twisted his words in the new covenant? In fact, he goes on to say, the Pope is the very Antichrist who has exalted himself above and opposed himself against Christ because he will not permit Christians to be saved. It is nothing else than the devil himself, says Luther, because above and against God, he urges and disseminates his papal falsehoods concerning masses, purgatory, the monastic life, one's own works, fictitious divine worship, which is uh, uh, the very papacy, and condemns, murders, and tortures all Christians who do not exalt and honor these abominations of the Pope above all things. And they were torturing, they were murdering all kinds of Christians because if, if we were talking like this in those days, we would be burned at the stake or we'd be hung or drowned or depending on what province you were in. Therefore, just as little as we can worship the devil himself as Lord and God, we can endure his apostle, the Pope, uh, he says, for to lie and to kill and to destroy body and soul eternally, that is wherein his papal authority really consists or his papal government. That's crazy. No, it, it is. And it, it's interesting to see those quotes from Martin Luther and then to see some of the literature that followed. In fact, in the Geneva Bible that was printed in 1560, now that's well before the 
King James Bible, actually, funny enough, uh, the modern translation yeah. of the King James Bible uh, compared to the English version of the Geneva Bible. But in their commentary on or the study note that they have for Revelation 11, 7 about the beast coming out of the abyss. Yeah, we're going to the time of the Reformation right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're, you're in 1560, this is what it says. That is the Pope, which hath his power out of hell and cometh thence. So the Geneva Bible back in 1560 was saying the Pope, and as you mentioned before, that that succession, uh, interesting take on it. We're going to get into where we where we stand on that, but that Pope, that he himself is that beast coming out of the abyss. And the London Baptist Confession of 1689, which is one of the most, you got Westminster and now the London Baptist Convention. That's Westminster's right. uh, baby baptizing, uh, pedo-baptism uh, view where the 1689 London, London Baptist Confession would be uh, tic- yeah. the per- particular Baptist who believe yeah. in uh, credo-baptism. But here's what they, they have. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. By the Father's appointment, all authority is conferred on him in a supreme and sovereign manner to call, institute, order, and govern the church. The Pope of Roman Catholicism cannot in any sense be head of the church. Rather, he is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and the son of destruction, who exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. The Lord will destroy him with the brightness of is coming. Wow. Interesting. Not much, you know, sometime later, a couple of centuries later, uh, you have, you know, a century later in the 1700s, you have Wesley making similar statements. And then in the 1800s, you have uh, Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher, famous Baptist preacher known as the Prince of Preachers, states, quote, it is the bounden duty of every Christian to pray against this Antichrist. He's speaking of the Pope. And as to what Antichrist is, no sane man ought to raise a question if it be not the Popery of the Church of Rome. There's nothing in the world that can be called by that name. Wow. So that's amazing. Uh, we have we have many other quotes along those lines, but we think we've made our point. Uh, Christians for generations uh, have, have identified the, the Roman Catholic system as being Antichrist because it's antithetically uh, against salvation by grace through faith, and it rises up a false authority. It pits it against Christ because it claims that he is the vicar of Christ and there instead of Christ, and he is called the most holy father, a term that only belongs to the holy father in heaven that Jesus used of him in John 17, not for any man, not for any pope, pope, supreme, sovereign, you know, pontifex maximus, all these different titles that are just horrific. Yeah, and they are horrific to hear. And one of the things that we wanted to get into is the fact that this used to be a lot of what the Protestant Church stated, that, hey, what's going on from Rome is Antichrist. It's not biblical. These are not Christians. And then you had, obviously, the advent of Vatican II and this idea of separated brethren, but still condemning people. So it's very, it's weird to try to go through it. And Try to try to understand what they're trying to get out, other than simply getting people into the into the their footstep into the door, and then having them embrace all these things. You only say it's not so bad for so long until you just eventually embrace it all. We've seen that with the way that deconstructionism has moved uh, in so much of the church and young people, where people have deconstructed their views of scripture. Where um, well, maybe that's just an opinion here. Maybe it's not taken literal here, and and so forth until they're no longer actual believers. And that's really kind of the starting place. And the same thing happens, Joe, that I see from people over and over again when it comes to Catholicism. 
In fact, I was watching a testimony of someone who was considering converting, and one of the things he said was, I want to convert to Catholicism just because the beauty, the aesthetic of it all, you know, they go up there, you see it, it's this piety and so forth, and I don't get that at my church. I think he had a woman pastor at his church, but nonetheless, um, that'd be against scripture. as well. So yeah. you don't believe in solo scriptura, I guess? No. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's rough out there. So, Joe, it really started to me, obviously, with Vatican II, them sticking their hand out, being like, oh, we're we're brothers, Let, this is okay, everything's fine, we're going to be brothers. And then when you get J.I. Packer and Chuck Colson coming together and saying, yeah, let's sign this document, we're together, we're Christians, it did remind me eerily of a common word between us and them, yeah. which was the common word had Christians, which I don't believe that the men who signed that document were Christians, signing a document alongside Muslims basically Wanting to become Muslim, yeah, and and giving up so much. That Allah is, is know, God. God's name is Allah, and, and Muhammad is a prophet. prophet. Yeah. yeah, which is what you have to refer in the Tyrannical. Shahada to be saved yeah. in in That's right. to be saved from hellfire. You have to affirm the Shahada, the very things you have to affirm to become a Muslim. They're affirming in that document, and they're denying. And this is Rick Warren and others signing this. It's a denial. The common word between us and them comes from a surah in the Quran, which says gave a common word between us and them, and basically goes on to say that we can basically get them to deny the Trinity, that the triune, that God is God in three persons, and that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a common word the Muslims were seeking based on the Quran. They actually took that title, which is denial of biblical Christianity, and used it as a title of this document at Yale that Rick Warren and others signed on to. And to see that ended up happening with, with a bunch of different scholars and teachers for Catholicism as well, because when you're signing this document and just pushing aside, oh, yeah, it's not a problem, the veneration of Mary, it's not a problem this, it's not a problem that, and you're seeing it pushed aside, and you what what's happening is you're accepting these false positions of for the gospel and saying, well, we're just going to push them aside because we do have things we agree with. And Joe, the warnings that have gone out regarding that this is exactly this that whole slippery slope yeah, it's really interesting. That's always happened. That slippery slope that has been warned about, whether it was, hey, I'm telling you, gay marriage is not the start. It's going to go, and now we're having, you know, drag queen hour, yeah. you know, with children and, and stuff. And when and it comes soon, to that. Very likely, 10, 15 years, give it some time, what we call pedophobes because we're against pedophilia and it's becoming more accepted. Yeah. And watch, very well could happen. Yeah. No. And that slippery slope mentality, it's, it's mm-hmm. a reality that you're seeing happen. And so we see that, Joe. And this clip is actually from an older video. It's called Megiddo 2. And there's some really good warnings here about the ecumenism that was going on with Pope John Paul. And now you're going to get to see it with your own eyes. Some of the wickedness that he allowed there in the Vatican. The Pope is the leader of an ecumenical movement like this world has never seen. He gathered 160 leaders of the world's 12 major religions there in Assisi. Who was there? Snake worshippers, literally some snake worshippers. Fire worshippers, spiritists, animists, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, North American Indian witch doctors. They're painting feathers, fetishes, and rattles, walking to the microphone, you know, uh, to pray for peace. Uh, and he said, we're all praying to the same God. Our prayers are creating a spiritual energy, bringing about a new climate for peace. So uh, there is an ecumenical movement. Uh, it won't just be the Catholics. I mean, you can see they're all joining the Catholic Church the ecclesial head of, of the Church of England, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, oh, we got to come back under the Pope. 
Robert Schuller says, what do we have to do to say to the, the shepherd, how do we come home, you know? Uh, they're all talking about we've got to acknowledge the leadership of the Pope. So you have this ecumenical movement and all of them will join under Rome. The ecumenical movement has compelled Pope John Paul II to put on the garments of paganism in more ways than one. The Pope kissed the Muslim Quran, a book that vehemently denies Jesus as the Son of God. He allowed his friend, the Dalai Lama, to replace the cross with a statue of Buddha on the altar of St. Peter's Church in Assisi, and for the Dalai Lama and his monks to perform their Buddhist worship there. The Pope even received the mark of Shiva on his forehead. Shiva is the Hindu god who is called the Lord of Death. Disturbing to some researchers is the fact that according to the Satanic Bible, Shiva is a synonym for Satan. The drive to establish a universal religion has influenced some of the highest levels of the Protestant churches as well. Two great supporters of Pope John Paul are Robert Schuller, who made a special trip to Rome to ask the Pope's blessing on the building plans for his crystal cathedral, and the Reverend Billy Graham, who has called the Pope the greatest religious leader of the modern world and one of the greatest moral and spiritual leaders of the century. Together, Schuller and Graham, who influence millions of people around the world, seem to openly support the Pope's ecumenical movement. Listen now and judge in yourself whether the Christ they preach is the Christ of the Bible or the universal Christ of the New Age. Tell me, what do you think is the future of Christianity? Well, Christianity and being a true believer, you know, I think there's the, the, the body of Christ which comes from all the Christian groups around the world or outside the Christian groups. I think everybody that, that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And I don't think that we're going to see a great sweeping uh, revival that will turn the whole world to Christ at any time. I think James answered that, the Apostle James, in the first council in Jerusalem, when he said that God's purpose for this age is to call out a people for his name. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people for, out of the, the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. Uh, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have and they turn to the only light that they have. And I think that they are saved and that they're going to be with us in heaven. This is fantastic. And I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. There's a wideness in God's mercy. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be who go in that way because straight is the gate and narrow the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You know, one of the reasons we wanted to play that is because we, we want to show, show that there's two sides to this coin. There are the Catholics that are looking for this ecumenical reach as well as the Christians and sadly, or as well as the Protestant uh, self-proclaim. But 
it's really sad to kind of see all that and to see snake charmers and stuff and the late great Dave Hunt there sharing uh, the truth of what was going on there in Rome. Yeah, absolutely. You have all kinds of uh, various religious people there, 12, as Dave mentioned, uh, world religions and 160 leaders from those various religions and and uh, the Pope stating that this is to bring forth the, you know, the world peace and so forth, the climate of peace. And the Bible says there's no peace to the wicked. And the Bible doesn't say when somebody, if they're just looking at the light they have, they're saved. And we, we, Cornelius responded to the light that God gave him, but he wasn't saved yet, not until it, he, Jesus Christ was revealed to him. That's why God brought Peter to him and brought him to Peter in that miraculous, those chapters, you know, 10 and 11 of, of the book of Acts. And then it's not until Peter, even though Cornelius was seeking God and giving alms and praying for the poor and everything, he wasn't saved, even though he was responding to light. God gave him more light, and then Peter preached the gospel to him. And it's only after he received the gospel, we read, that he received the Holy Spirit, and the very next chapter says that he was saved. So it's a lie to say that people are just saved because they're, 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 they, 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 they enjoy some of God's light. You have to respond to God's light and continue to respond until you come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know? And we do believe that everybody who's truly responding to Christ and responding to the light that God gives in that prevenient grace, if they continue to respond, we're eventually brought to Christ. But salvation only comes through Christ. And to speak of people being saved all over the place by the blood of Christ that aren't saved is an ecumenical lie that just tries to broaden, uh, you know, this whole sweep about, you know, ecumenism and, and, and this whole new world order. And by the way, the Pope also, you know, he talked over and over again, Pope John Paul, who uh, Chris had up there, and uh, we're in that video, uh, or I was interviewed for that video, and I'm somewhere in there, we're talking about the New World Order and how to respond to it, and that's Maghetto 2 by Chris Pinnell. It's a great video. Both Maghettos are really good by Chris, good friend of ours. Uh, it's just kind of remarkable that the Pope is kissing the Quran, which is a war manual against Christians. It's about putting to death the pagans and, and you know, those who have many gods, and we're caricatured as having many gods and so forth, and it condemns uh, the worship of uh, the Father, Son, uh, the, the, the triune Godhead, worshiper of Jesus, and it denies that Jesus is the Son of God. But the Bible says, who is the Antichrist but the one who denies the Father and the Son? 1 John 2, 18 through 20. You go ahead and read that. And therefore, the Quran, which was given by a demonic entity claimed to be the angel Gabriel, uh, denied that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is explicated in 1 John as the doctrine of Antichrist. And here you have the Pope kissing a, a, a Quran, a big, big huge a Quran, uh, bowing to it and kissing to it, giving affection to this book. Would any of you kiss the Book of Mormon? Would any of you kiss, kiss you know, Mein Kampf? Would any of you kiss the Watchtowers if a Jehovah's Witness came to you? No, you wouldn't because you say that's false. It's deceptive. Well, the Quran, man, it, 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 is a, it, it predicts this and, and the, the other, the Hadiths and so forth, predict that guess who's going to be wiped out? The people that are under the sign of the cross in times when their, their Mahadi comes, you know, the last Mahadi, and he'll be put, to, will all be put to death. Well, the Bible says that in the last days, you know, Jesus said that they're going to put you to death thinking they're doing God's service, John chapter 16. So in the end times, those who are rebelling against this ecumenism saying, I'm not going to bow down to, I'm not going to take the mark of the beast. I'm not going to bow down to the things that represents Antichrist system. We'll be put to death, but hey, to be absent with the body, He's present with the Lord. We're all going to die sometime. Why don't you die for, for the Lord? Amen. And, and, and keep your faith, you know. So it's a huge deception, Chad. And so he's basically kissing a, a war manual. And when he spoke, the Pope, there's other things we're not, we don't have time to put up there. But 
he, he praised Gandhi over and over again, Pope John Paul II, and talked about through Gandhi and these different world leaders and so forth, these religious leaders, uh, that we're going to bring forth this new world order, was the Pope's uh, words with regard to Gandhi specifically, that we're bringing forth this new world order. And that's what the Bible predicts, but it's going to come under a, a demonic system because the Bible doesn't talk about Christians ruling the earth. The Bible talks about Jesus Christ coming and establishing his reign on the planet, and then we reign with him for a thousand years. And actually go to Revelation 21 22, we reign with him for all eternity. But that doesn't happen until the—you can't have peace until the Prince of Peace comes. And the Antichrist ecumenical movement will be saying peace and safety, it says, but sudden destruction will come upon them. Yeah, and it's it's not just, you know, oh, that was Pope John Paul and, and so forth. Obviously, we've seen a much more liberal version of Catholicism through Francis. And most Catholics that I've even talked to don't really— like him all that much either. And they are like, oh man, yeah. you know, uh, but nonetheless, the, the Christian side of this, um, somebody who was called America's pastor, in fact, believes that Christians really should follow the Pope and really loves the current one, which is uh, Pope Francis. The, the main thing is love always reaches people. It, authenticity, humility, Pope Francis is the perfect example of this. Hmm. He is, a, he is doing everything right. You see, people will listen to what we say if they like what they see. see. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as our new pope, our new pope, he was very, very symbolic in, you know, his first mass with people of AIDS, uh, his, his uh, kissing of, uh, of the disformed man, yeah. his loving the children, this authenticity, this humility, the caring for the poor. This is what the whole world expects us Christians to do. And when we when they go, oh, that's what a Christian does. I, in fact, there was a headline here in Orange County, and I love the headline. I saved it. It said, "If you love Pope Francis, you'll love Jesus." <laughs> when you talk about Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals, uh, Fundamentalist, Catholics, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, on on and on and on. Well, they would all say, "We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the resurrection." We believe salvation is through Jesus Christ. These are the big issues. Sometimes Protestants think that Catholics worship Mary like she's another God. But that's not exactly Catholic doctrine. There's the understanding, and, and people say, well, what are the saints all about? Or, you know, you're, why are you praying to the saints? And when you understand what they mean by what they're saying, there's a whole lot more commonality. Now, there's still real differences, no, no doubt about that. But the most important thing is, if you love Jesus, we're on the same team. Now, Joe, there was a couple of things from those clips, one of which you might have not heard it, because it kind of goes back, goes through a little quick, but he says, our Pope. Yeah. Our, our meaning Pope. He, that's his Pope. And Pope is what it means, from Papist means father. Yeah. Jesus, they don't call these religious guys father, but he's called Most Holy Father, and he's affirming him as his Pope and our Pope, but he is not our Pope. No, I, I don't know if we Rick, have one father in heaven, Jesus said. Rick might have had a mouse in his pocket there, but nonetheless, I had nothing to do with uh, Pope Francis or any pope prior to that other Amen. than him being an affront to the true gospel of Jesus Christ and sitting in a position that he is not supposed to be in and people worshiping uh, in a manner that God has never called for us to worship through his word or even... I mean, it's just such, such a heartbreaking thing to, to look into this. And, 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 and Rick Warren's saying, well, yeah, so they pray to dead people. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and, and they believe other things that we believe. Well, yeah, Rick Warren, why don't you 
say that about the Galatians when you preach through Galatians. Well, they they probably believed in that that Jesus is God. They probably believed in these things. But Rick, they denied the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is by grace through faith, and Paul puts them under the anathema because of that. But you ignore that aspect of the question, and you try to affirm Catholicism as true Christianity and the Pope being our Father. No, we have one, our Father, who art in heaven, and that is Father God, and one Lord Jesus Christ, and one Holy Spirit. So not only is the man who many claim is America's pastor, sadly enough, claiming that the Pope is our Pope, but also on the way back from Rome, Pope Francis has even reached out to word of faith heretics like Kenneth Copeland. And you can hear right here a message that Pope Francis sent to Kenneth Copeland by way of Bishop Tony Palmer. So, Joe, when we see that, when we are listening to that and and watching Pope Francis, like, send a message to, I mean, an arch heretic. I mean, we're talking about Kenneth Copeland. We are talking about a radical heretic. And who is he teaming up with? Of Of course, Pope Francis. And I've even listened to Chris Valentin from Bethel talk about the excitement he had about Pope Francis and, yeah. and so and so forth. And we see this going on, whether it's the shows like The Chosen or whether it's even, sadly enough, you know, a lot of people reaching out and going to the Vatican and meeting with the Pope and whatever it may be. And Joe, it is just a heartbreaking thing to see this going on. But then we have to recognize, wait a second, but what's the biblical framework around all this? We have Christians fighting with Christians about whether or not Catholics are indeed saved when their doctrines are abhorrent to the Bible. We have these Christians reaching out to the Pope, the Pope reaching out back, the Pope, the previous Pope, Pope John Paul, which is most people's favorite Pope, um, having, you know, snake charmers and stuff mm-hmm. at the Vatican, the Dalai Lama, and like you mentioned. by the way, the Dalai Lama claims to be God. So he had God on the stage with him, according to you. The Dalai Lama. Yeah, the God of this world. He, yeah, he's right there. You're, you're, it's a special sacrament, you know, with those who follow the Dalai Lama. But he's having yeah, one who claims to be God up there on stage with him saying that we're all praying to the same God. Are you all praying to the Dalai Lama then? Well, no, he's not God. Well, then how are we worshiping the same God, Mr. Pope? And, and Joe, this is where it brings us to really the question that's been at hand. We've tried to show somewhat of a church history of looking at what the statements have been regarding who the Pope might be. Uh, in regards to the Antichrist. Because when we look at Revelation, it seems really interesting. And I believe Eusebius specifically, and then Augustine being a a popularizer of the doctrine of amillennialism, um, but Eusebius starting that of writing for Constantine, and when writing for Constantine, trying to separate some of the early church letters. This is documented in Dr. uh, Dr. Craig Evans' book, uh, and we interviewed on this, Uh, interviewed him on this exact uh, book called Jesus and the Manuscripts, and he talks about how Eusebius put in John the Elder to try to differentiate from John the Apostle Apostle, because he didn't want Papias talking to John the Apostle and getting a premillennial viewpoint because basically Eusebius, writing at the request of Constantine, was going to be writing about things that seem very eerily similar to what Constantine is in terms of the Antichrist and some of those positions and so forth, because now he's going to 
it's going to be the national religion. After him, obviously, you had the Edict of Milan and so forth. And then after after Constantine, it would be more the state religion. But that marrying of the state with Christianity, and Eusebius seemingly understood this. I mean, when you get down to it and realize that there's all of a sudden this separation trying to get Papias away from the Apostle John that clearly taught a premillennial uh, yeah. um, reign of, of Christ and so forth. And so we're seeing it, Joe. And yet when we look at this, what does the scriptures or what do the scriptures actually teach in light of the end times, the false prophet, the Antichrist? And is it going to be a pope? Is it a succeeding, just like there's apostolic secession in uh, Roman Catholic doctrine, is there a succeeding kind of line from the pope that that pope is Antichrist and it continues to be Antichrist? Yeah, a couple things along those lines, and then some of the conclusions that we look at that when I say conclusions, we're not dogmatic on this because, you know, when you look at prophecy, uh, there's certain things that are incredibly clear. Like six times we read in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 19, and six times I should say we read in Revelation 20, 20 yeah. that there's a thousand-year reign at stage six times of that millennial period after he comes back. So Jesus definitely comes back before the millennium. Revelation 19, he destroys the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. They're both thrown alive in a lake of fire, and the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. Chapter 20, there's really no chapter breaks. The original letter of John there, uh, then it goes right into uh, the resurrection, which is the effect of Christ's second coming, and how we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Those who didn't take the mark of the beast, and those who were slain, and uh, those who are trust, who are you know, die trusting Christ. So it's interesting, Chad, because when we look at the you know the, the whole picture here, it's interesting that Jesus was offered by Satan, if he would just bow down before him. He says, I'll give you, he showed him in a, in, it showed him the kings of the world in Matthew 4. In, in Luke 4, it's interesting because it says he showed him a vision of, of the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. So he showed him just a vision of all the power that Jesus could have if we'd bow down and worship Satan. Of course, Jesus said, get thou behind me, Satan, uh, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. And uh, Jesus didn't take a shortcut to get power over the world system and compromise with satanic powers and politicians. He went to the cross to die for all of our sins because there's no way. I mean, he would have basically fallen into sin if he had done that. Uh, and of course, he he'd hadn't, you know. And uh, he went to the cross to die for the sins of the world so he could redeem humanity from Satan and from the power of the world. And what's interesting about this whole thing is when Constantine came around, you have the wedding. Basically, Constantine bows to Satan and he's given power over the world. And he already had that through the Roman Empire, but he gets power over more and more people by joining with the church. Christianity, uh, the, a, a, a false form of Christianity, began to coalesce with the state, you know, which was compromised, which was not Christian, just as uh, if, if Christians today uh, were to say, hey, let's become one with Biden and the Biden administration, even though it has so many things contrary to what we believe, just so we won't be persecuted and, and so we can work together and, and we'll call this the, the true church that Biden rules and then we'll have a spiritual leader that rules with him, you know. Eventually, they'd have a, these bona fide so-called popes. So it's interesting the compromise that you see because when Jesus comes back, he doesn't come back to a world that's being ruled by uh, a godly man called the Pope that's ruling Christianity. You know, even Rick Warren has says that the church could become Christianized, the world could become Christianized before Jesus returns, you know. These are false teachings. The Holy Church believed that the church would, that the world would get worse and worse. Christians would be persecuted, which is exactly what's happening, by the way. And then Jesus would come back at the end of the tribulation period. So the earliest Christians believed 
Uh, but uh, because of getting away with, away from premillennialism, Chad, as you were alluding to, and accepting amillennialism and also historicism, this idea that that uh, the Book of Revelation is is describing, you know, I guess for the historicist would be describing like the last two thousand years of time. You can go through the Book of Revelation, but you really can't do that because the Book of Revelation describes more than any other part of history. Uh, the things that are future, it says, right? The things which thou hast seen, that's John's vision of Jesus in Revelation 1. The things which are, that's the things that are taking place in the seven churches at that time. The things which will be hereafter, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, after the churches are, are dealt with and, and warned and so forth and promised. And then the rest is what will be hereafter in the future. And most of it, as you know, Chad, deals with 1260 days or 42-month period of time, which is we call the Great Tribulation Period. Daniel's 70th week is that last seven years the middle of that week, the Antichrist stops the, uh, the temple sacrifices, sets himself up in the temple of God, and shows himself as God. So he, he, he takes himself as God, and he stays there instead of God, claiming to be God. And so we don't agree uh, necessarily with each pope being in the seat of Antichrist any more than we believe that each pope has been in the seat of Christ. Uh, we believe what the, that the uh, reformers and many of these people were onto something true, though is that the Pope was representing incredible incredible so-called ecclesiastical power and also incredible secular power where he was used, but being able to be used by satanic powers. We wouldn't call him specifically the Antichrist, but because we believe there's a coming Antichrist, we don't diminish that reality. However, we do believe the Protestant reformers were onto something. There's a false demonic movement here that is Antichrist that's persecuting Christians and so forth. And many of the reformers believed that the, uh, that the Roman Catholic Church is the spiritual whore of Babylon. And Dave Hunt wrote a fascinating book called The Woman, Woman Who Rides the Beast that you might want to check out along those lines. We do believe personally that there's, there's physical, material, uh, commercial Babylon, which uh, we identify as something other than Roman Catholicism. We also believe there's spiritual Babylon, uh, talked about in the Bible as well, which we would believe would make up the occult, the New Age movement, Roman Catholicism, and all that which will be coming together in the end times as a one-world religion uh, and so forth. But one of the most important things that we must rem- remember along these lines is one of the Pope's titles is very eerie. It's Vicar of Christ. That's how he's known as the Most Holy Father, Holy Father, uh, and that's one of his most popular titles. And another of his most popular titles is the Vicar of Christ. And that's that's really that's really bad, guys, because uh, what if I went to the fellowship where I pastor and I said, hey, just want to let you know I'm the Vicar of Christ. I'd be saying I'm the stand-in for Jesus. I'm his substitute on earth, which would be absolutely ridiculous. Just ask my wife. You know, I try to be the godliest husband I could be. I love her so much, but I'm not perfect, you know, and I, I try to bless her every day. But man, I can barely tie my shoes some mornings when I get up. I wear sandals usually in Southern California, but you know what I mean. All right, we need Jesus, and he's the vicar of Christ. And the word vicar is connected to the word vicarious. Vicarious means a substitute, like Christ's vicarious atonement. So the Pope is like the substitute for Christ on the planet. That seems very antichrist, especially when we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that the Bible says of the Antichrist that he'll come with all power and signs and lying wonders and all the evilness of unrighteousness and that perish because they refuse to love the truth, uh, right? And they had pleasure in wickedness and so forth. But it says in verses 2 and 3, Paul says that let no one deceive you by any means for that day, meaning Christ coming to gather us together to rapture us, will not come until two things happen first, until there is a fallen away, apostasia, which we're seeing already right now, and the man of sin, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's opposed to all that is any other God. So what we have is we have a vicar, 
one that sits in the place of God claimed to be God in the last days. And that's scary because when we read the word anti, when we read the word antichrist, Chad, it can have two different meanings. Uh, as Greek scholars point out, it can mean anti meaning against, but it also means anti, that word also, the prefix there also means instead of, instead of Christ. And interestingly enough, in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's both. He's opposed to Christ, he's against Christ, he's opposed to Christ, he's against Christ. He is also, instead of Christ, claiming to be the Messiah. But I think, Chad, it's more likely with regard to the Pope, and we just got to watch, you can watch and say, well, Pope be the Antichrist. My personal conviction is that it's very likely that a Pope would fit the bill of being instead of Christ, but play the role of the false prophet. Because the false prophet is the one who looks like Jesus. Uh, he claims to play the role of Jesus to a degree. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it's called, it speaks to the false prophet using that terminology, false prophet. But it says he looks like, but it says he looks like a lamb. So he looks like he represents Christ, but it says he speaks like a dragon. In the book of Revelation, the dragon is Satan. So you're going to have a figure in the last days who looks like he represents Christianity, but he's going to speak the devil's words. How so? He's going to tell people and cause people to worship the Antichrist. He'll bring fire down from heaven in the sight of men. He'll do fantastic miracles. And using these miracles to cause people, he says he causes everybody. When it says in the Bible he caused everybody to take a, a, a mark on the right hand or on their forehead in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18, it says and that they can't buy or sell without this mark. It's either the name of the beast or the number of his name. When it says he causes all, a lot of times people quote the, that verse as though it's saying the Antichrist causes all. But if you look at the context, it's talking about the false prophet and the image of the beast that he has people make cause everyone to worship the beast. So the, this Antichrist figure is actually being worshipped by a, a, and by a worship movement that started by a religious leader. And that's very, very important because Satan loves to use religion because in way, false religion is definitely open to the people. So how can you garner so many people to worship this Antichrist? Well, it says that he'll have incredible power, right? Who can make war with him, they'll say. So on one hand, people will be tripping out on his military power, but another part of it is religious deception. And who has more religious sway in the world than anybody else by far and away? It's the Pope. And who claims to represent Jesus Christ? The vicar of Christ instead of Christ. Who looks like he's representing Christ but really speaks like a dragon and his movement denies the true gospel of Jesus Christ and they speak of a coming new world order and the joining together of all these false religions claim we all really worship the same God, Catholicism. So I think when you put it all together, uh, Roman Catholicism could play a huge part, but it may not be the Pope as the Antichrist. It may be the Pope as the false prophet and of course, even what I'm saying now, I must be humble before you and say, you know what? Wow, wow, didn't that be the false prophet? He didn't, Pope wasn't the false prophet or the Antichrist in the end. It was this guy and this guy. Because we don't know exactly how it was shaken out. And I say that to diminish my own, the importance of my own words because you always got to stick to scripture and not say, wow, this is how it's going to happen. I don't want you to do that. I want you to say, wow, it looks like this is how, how it can happen. This is a very strong possibility. And because we want to always, we're sola scriptura. So we go back to the word of God. So what we do have in scripture is, is the template of what's going to happen, who the exact players are. We have some very good ideas, but we don't pin our tail exactly on the Antichrist because we don't want to be led astray, amen? That's why we never pick dates or anything else. But guess what? We have some huge clues as to what the Word of God says. And it tells us these things. He looks like a, a, a lamb that speaks like a dragon for a real, really important reason. Because Jesus said there'll be many false Christs and false prophets will arise and deceive many. And, and they'll show so great signs and wonders deceiving, if possible, even the very elect of God, Jesus said. And then he went on to say, therefore, I've warned you, or beware, I've warned you in advance. 
Amen, guys. So stick close to Jesus and God is good. Amen. We love you guys. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.